Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Thank you so much. Kristen and I always look forward to when we can return home. Uh, We are in our fifth year since we've retired as lead pastor here. Those of you who know me know our term is we call refired. Kind of refired in our new opportunity for ministry. When we left here, we said as long as God wanted us to, we would come alongside churches that were kind of like this church was uh, in 1986 when we came here, kind of struggling along and been through some tough times. And God has really kept us busy. Just finished uh, another eight-month internship, uh, interim ministry with the church. And I'm going to be starting another one on on July the 10th with another church. And God has really just kind of kept us busy doing that. And so most weekends I'm preaching somewhere else, but it's always fun to come home uh, and to be here with you. You'll always be our home church. Um, Thank you for your prayers for our family as well. Nate and Brooke, some of you have been praying certainly about our grandchild. We're expecting our fourth grandchild, our first grandson from India. We got the word this past week, it is a go. So this next weekend, they'll be heading to India. And Ari Akash Reeves, the first male Reeves, will be here, Lord willing, mid-July. So this is kind of exciting Father's Day weekend for us. Uh, And many of you have made that possible through your prayers and support of them through their journey. So I thank you personally on their behalf as well. But because I do spend a lot of time with churches, and particularly men, and men who are leading churches, um, when John asked me to talk today, this was kind of just real clear to me what I need to talk about today. So many church leaders particularly, and Christian men I find, and women, feel like uh, failures. It's hard to shake failures. And there are lots of reasons for that, which we'll talk about. And so I wanted to talk about that today. So the question is, can we even recover from failure? Especially if it's like public, you know, if it's painful enough. Are some failures so difficult you can't even recover from that? Well, turns out that you can. <laughs> um, a week ago on June the 8th, I was interested to hear about the 10,000-meter run in college for the national championship, back before I had two knee surgeries, I really enjoyed many marathons, and so I appreciate long-distance running. And so there's a guy from Notre Dame named Dylan Jacobs. He was not even the favorite to win. He's not even the best long-distance runner for Notre Dame. But 10,000 meters, if you didn't hear the story, he, uh, he fell <laughs> at about the 3,000-meter uh, place, a third away through the race. Another runner was halfway a lap around ahead of the rest of them. He was in the middle of the pack, but he fell down. What do you do? <laughs> he said, well, you got to get up and try to finish, right? And he did. And he took the lead in the very last lap and became the national championship. 
of the 10,000 meters. So it turns you can fail and fall down in front of millions of people and you can get up and move again. Now that's one thing athletically. You and I can't relate to that so much, but you might relate to my friend and his wife, one of my mentors who years ago kind of broke into hear about their story. They you know, were very successful in ministry in every sense of that term in a good way. They led a couple of small churches that became very influential locally, reaching thousands of people, but also globally as well. Uh, his wife, at the same time they were building these churches, was a successful businesswoman before there were many women out there in the business world being a success, but she did that. Their oldest son was a wonderful Christian father and husband. Their second son found success in the Christian media world, which is pretty tough sledding, but he did well there. Their youngest son, though, had some struggles. Uh, he didn't have a mental disability, but he did have some neurological issues that made formal education hard for him. And he was expelled from school a couple of times, and eventually they learned he'd been on heroin for months, had been stealing from them and from some local stores. They would tell you through the whole thing, though, he really was a caring, a caring kid. He would bring home friends and say, you know, they haven't eaten in four days. Can they stay overnight? This friend has been sleeping in the streets. Can, can they come over and stay with us for a while? And one night he brought over a friend, 21 years old, addicted to heroin, and he'd been freed of heroin. He said, can he come stay overnight? And he did on his 21st birthday. And he celebrated by shooting up that night, and he died in their home. Their son later went to prison a couple of times. The second time he went through a drug rehab program, he was freed of the drugs, and he planned to remain free, but he broke up a fight one night outside a bar, and he was killed. And for years, of course, they, they struggled. Feeling, Here I am preaching about God's love, and I feel like such a failure as a dad and, and as a mom, they felt, you know. And on some level, you probably can identify with that. Maybe not something to that degree, but in some level, you probably have felt like you haven't measured up in some regard. It's just a common struggle for us. That's how we have these battles that we do fight, and a lot of it has to do with feeling like we failed. We've kind of dropped the ball, you know. Maybe, let me mention just a few things to make sure we're on the same page. It could be as a parent that you have felt like a failure, as a dad or as a mom. The kids haven't measured up to what your standards were, and you've asked yourselves a thousand times, what could I, what could I do? I had a lot of conversations after the service today, some folks over and over ask myself, what did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? Just can't shake that, that image in the rearview mirror about what they perceive to be a failure or something they regret in the past. It's hard to work beyond that, you know? In fact, the tough thing is you might even resent people who seem like their kids have it together. They may not, but they look that way, you know? And so you just kind of beat yourself up because of that. That's a struggle. Uh, maybe you had a struggle in marriage. You never thought it would happen to you, but you ended up divorced for any number of reasons, and you never thought that would happen, but, but it did. Maybe you had some kind of failure in business way on down the line, or maybe when you first started. You ever wanted a job, but they didn't want you? Can you believe that happened to me? Yeah. I thought this ministry thing would be, I mean, sure, anybody's going to want you. Do you want to show up to preach, Right. But my first interview position for a youth pastor position, they selected the other guy. And so the deal is you probably have, at some level had some kind of struggle, 
something which you could do over, you'd like a do-over in regard to business, or I think this is real common for Christian people, you want to try to share your faith, and maybe you've tried to share your faith with family members or friends really close to you, and it just hasn't gone well. They don't respond well to you. In fact, if you say to somebody today, Jesus is the only way to heaven, that's called hate speech in some places. What do you do with that? And you feel like, man, I just, I'm not getting the job done. I'm not sharing my faith like I ought to. And we shouldn't be surprised. At the same time, Gallup's annual honesty and ethics survey, you know what they found? American pastors and large churches are at an all-time low in regard to the way they're respected in our culture, or lack thereof. 51%, so barely a majority of people 55 and older have respect for churches and pastors, but only 24% of those 18 to 34 years of age believe that pastors and church leaders can be trusted, that there's honesty in the church. That's a tough deal. It's not surprising, so I say, I share those stats to say it's not surprising some people are a little hesitant to share their faith, because, you know, we've, I mean, people don't trust institutions today, and they see the church as a large institution especially, so we don't trust with Me Too and income inequality and conspiracy theories and public health crises and political grandstanding that's just bizarre. Even now we have, you know, private discussions among the Supreme Court that goes public. Are you kidding me right now? What kind of world are we living in? Well, we're living in it. And so people out there, they don't trust the government or business or the media or the church. And they're likely to see us as not being honest and not really being very effective. So in my opinion, that's why so many Christian men and women, if they're honest, they feel like they're not really getting it done. They'd like to be more effective as a witness for Christ, and they feel spiritually like they've dropped the ball and they feel like a failure. That's a problem because James spoke directly to the church. I love his letter because he just shot straight from the hip. You know, the book of James, he said this in James 3, verse 2, we all make many mistakes. Would you raise your hand if you have made many mistakes? Some of you did not raise your hands. I'm bringing you right up here. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Okay, and now, now if, you, uh, if you're watching uh, online or on video or in the room, how many of you would say the person beside you has made many mistakes? Don't point to them, just no, okay. We probably, we probably should avoid that on this Father's Day. That wouldn't be a good, a good thing for us to do. But it's just that real, isn't it? And that's why we have to talk about it. Here's the thing. We're not conditioned for disappointment. We don't think it's supposed to happen, right? Things are supposed to go the right way when we begin to try to put God first in our lives. And as a matter of fact, our kids maybe aren't that well prepared for disappointment. And maybe we weren't. I mean, we mean well. Our parents meant well. We try to kind of protect our kids. In fact, one of the biggest mistakes we make as parents, we re rescue our kids before they fail. And so they're not prepared for life and disappointment and regret and failure. It's such an issue, some mental health professionals actually are advising against Little League Baseball now. Or if they play baseball, let's not keep score. The pressure's too great. So let's just bail on that one, right? Now, I understand some, some parents are over the line. I've heard some dads in the past have gone over the line. Thanks for not pointing at me. I appreciate that. Those of you who know me well, some of us parents get a little intense, and so I kind of get that. We need to back off. 
But I mean, really, we're gonna, not going to keep score anymore. We can't even have competition anymore. Some are saying we shouldn't have the grading system anymore. And maybe it's not a level playing field for everybody, but is the pressure that great? We have just have to back off from that. It's an issue if we don't have to, have to deal with disappointment. We even see this in the Olympics now and professional sports and college sports. I know mental health and other issues are at play, but I think many times if things aren't just perfect, I think maybe I'm not going to succeed, so I just, I'm just going to bail. I'd just rather bail than risking failure. And so that's why the big idea today is this. Since even the most successful people fail, they do. We have to learn how to recover from failure. And you don't learn this one once. It's like an everyday deal, right? It's an ongoing process. I like somebody coined the phrase failing forward. I love that. Hopefully we can fail forward and grow out of our experiences. Now here's the shocker. Did you know Jesus did not always succeed? Did you know Jesus failed? He never sinned, but he didn't reach the people closest to him that he grew up with. Twice in his public ministry, he went back to his hometown, and they weren't interested. Twice it happened to him. And so we're going to learn from him in his three-year ministry some lessons he gave. He mentored the disciples on how to prepare for failure, and we're disciples, I think, hopefully can help us as well. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 4 or you're in your Bible app. Uh, if you're watching, again, online, if you're watching uh, by video, if you're watching in person, I hope you'll turn there, or we'll also put the Scriptures on the screen, of course, because we want all of us to be able to learn together. Maybe it'll be a different translation than you have, but let's learn together from Jesus how to overcome this and recover from this. See, his public ministry started after he spent 40 days in the wilderness with Satan, and of course, he withstood all the temptations. And so now he begins his ministry. Let's pick it up in Luke 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. Well, he should be. He was perfect. He's off to a pretty good start. Verse 16. But when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the Scripture. Now, what did he read? Let me just kind of tell you. It's Isaiah chapter 61. You can look it up later today. It was a prophecy that was revealed hundreds of years before Jesus came, and he quoted those verses to say, this is why I came. I love the fact that today is Juneteenth. I really like that because it gives us Christians today a chance to say, let's clarify how Jesus felt about racism so nobody misunderstands that. In this passage, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61, the very first sermon he gave in public ministry. He said, I have come to proclaim the captives should be released and the oppressed should be set free. He delivered the message. There can be no question about that. He opposed, he, he wanted to defeat and abolish racism completely. And every follower of Christ should want the same thing. So now we have the chance to kind of say, hey, wait, here's how Jesus felt about that. Let's celebrate freedom that Jesus came to bring to every person. Now skip down to verse 21. See, here's the problem. Jesus was telling them, I'm going to share the message with the other race. That was a big deal. Verse 21. Once he said that, then he began to speak to them. The scripture 
This scripture that you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. He's saying publicly, I am he. I'm the Messiah. I'm fulfilling the message you heard about years ago. And just so we all understand this, let me remind you, Elijah, he said, he found hospitality in a Gentile woman's home, somebody of the other race. He also said Elijah, his successor, he healed and baptized a Gentile man, somebody of the other race named Naaman. And he's saying, I'm coming to do the same thing. And racial prejudice is still a problem today, but I have to tell you, I don't think it's as intense as it was in Jesus' day. You say, are you kidding me? Skip down to verse 28, see what you think. As soon as he said the message is for the other race, when they heard this, oh, the people of the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him. They forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him right over the cliff, but he passed right on through the crowd on his way. God was in control. They weren't. What a hostile reaction in his own hometown. How humiliating to be kicked out of the place where you were raised. Now, with that little background, let's fast forward to Mark chapter 6. Now, the Bible's not written chronologically, so go to the book in front of Luke, Mark chapter 6. This is one year later. And Jesus goes back a second time to his hometown of Nazareth. So he's had a pretty good year of ministry. He just finished a very successful tour of ministry in Capernaum where he had raised a little girl from the dead. That's pretty strong on your resume. He shows up after that. And what happens? Mark 6, let's pick it up in verse 1. What's happened a year later? Well, Jesus left that part of the country and he returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogues, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? And then they scoffed. Oh, he's just a carpenter. He's a son of Mary. He's a brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. His sisters live right here among us, and they were deeply offended, and they refused to believe in Jesus. Why in the world would they reject Jesus, number one, they were too familiar with him. Who does he think he is, man? Remember his father when he was alive? He was a carpenter. In fact, Jesus worked in the carpenter. Good boy, wasn't he? A good boy, good carpenter. He lived around here. His family still lives around here. But boy, he sure got an ego problem now, doesn't he? They were too familiar. That's the problem. They didn't recognize his greatness. And sometimes I think we know people so well, you can get so close to some people you don't appreciate who they are and what they've done. Uh, you know, years ago when I came here, 1986, I shared a, a story, a, a, a joke, and the chair of our elders liked it so much, he reminded me of it every single time he called me on the phone. I mean, really. It's a story about somebody who calls the church office and the person said, can I speak to the head hog at the trough? And the receptionist at the church said, excuse me, can I talk to the head hog at the trough? She said, are you talking about our lead pastor? I mean, you can call him you know, reverend or pastor, somebody by his first name, but I mean the head hog? The person said, listen, I'll ask you one more time. I have a check for $500,000 to give to the church. I'm going to talk to Head Hog at the trough. She said, oh, I think I see the big pig coming down the hall right now. <laughs> Every time that chairman called me on the phone, he would always say, is this the Head Hog at the trough? 
And I like that because we all need people around us to remind us we're just all in the boat together. None of us have really arrived, and that's a good thing. But sometimes you're with somebody who, like, is really honored in the eyes of other people, and you know the whole truth about them. Like, what's it like to be married to a politician who has a great following? Don't you wonder sometimes? I mean, I just wonder about the wife of a politician who has all these people making over him, and I picture her saying, boy, if you could only see him walking around in his boxers and his bony knees in the morning. <laughs> Let me tell you the truth about him, okay? Or some woman who has some great following as a, as a political leader. I can picture some husband saying, if you could only see her in the morning before she gets on her oil of delay. <laughs> Here's the real deal, Okay. And so sometimes we know people so well, we don't appreciate maybe what they've accomplished. I think that's an issue for us sometimes. And we, or maybe we pigeonhole people. You ever do that? Remember the first time you met them, you kind of keep them there? Oh, I remember him when he ran a, rode his bike across my front yard. Yeah. I knew her before she had a dime. Remember that? Oh, brother, she's really hung up on herself now. She's had this great success, right? We fail to recognize people grow up, you know? People can change. They mature. But sometimes they're not respected in their hometown. That's why they say, by the way, an expert is somebody who's at least 50 miles away from home. So that's why most of my speaking, I prefer to be 50 miles away from home. <laughs> and that's just the truth. In fact, Jesus said this in verse 4, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown. They also rejected him because they're just flat out jealous. Jealousy. See, Nazareth was a hick town. It still kind of is, really. Nobody had achieved much success there, so who's this guy who now has achieved success? When you haven't, what's that about? They're jealous of it, really. One commentator said this about all of us. You know, affirmation is rarely given when our own self-image is negative. You don't find many good things in the lives of others when you don't feel good about yourself. That was their problem, I think, verse 5, because of their unbelief. He couldn't do any miracles there except for he placed his hands on just a few who had enough faith to come. Those came, sick people came, and he healed them. And so it's not a surprise that verse 6 reads, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Now, I love the fact that Jesus is so practical. He doesn't just give theory and education. We're going to do an internship. We're going to practice this. So he sends the disciples out on like a practice preaching mission. Verse 8. Now, he said, when you go out and preach, take nothing for the journey except maybe a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. Okay, just trust God to provide. He'll take care of you here. Verse 10, wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house till you leave town. Have some credibility. Don't always be moving around, okay? And I love the clarity of the message in verse 11. And if you're not welcomed, and he's saying, and when you're not welcomed, when you feel like a failure, when you're not listened to, just quietly withdraw, don't make a scene, shrug your shoulders, and be on your way. He said, I want to prepare you for when you feel like you're failing. You feel like you're not carrying the torch. He doesn't pretend they're going to influence everybody. He was rejected in Nazareth. They would be as well. So he says, don't hit the panic button. Don't get bitter. Just shrug your shoulders and go on to the next town. And so verse 12 reads this way. So the disciples went out telling everyone that they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. 
And aren't we glad they did? Because we're here today as a result of it. Now, here's the question. Can we really learn something today about recovering from failure from this event, the teaching of Jesus, over 2,000 years ago? Let me give you four things to take with you when and as you recover from failure. Number one, control your expectations. I mean, we set ourselves up for failure because our expectations are too high. And when we don't achieve those standards that are not realistic, of course, we're going to wallow in our self-made standards. Jesus was realistic. He knew human nature. Everybody isn't going to respond. So don't worry about that. When it happens, stay with it. And you know what? Today, it's tough sledding for church leaders. I sadly read the last week of April... Barna's pastor poll came out. You know what they learned? 36 or 38%, almost four out of every 10 pastors in America admitted to considering leaving the full-time ministry in the past year. It's been so hard to lead. This is a strong church. This is not a, a normal church. So many churches don't have the health this church has. So many churches are divided over generational stuff, over politics, over mask or no mask, a vax or no vax, uh, you know, you name it, disagreements. And so many pastors are drained because of it. But I think the bigger issue is in-person attendance is down almost everywhere in America. And that's tough. Many pe- people are rejecting the message of Christianity in a way they never have before in our culture. And I think it's really making it a struggle for people who are trying to lead in the church. Author and pastor Tim Keller said this one, if ministry or your job, which it is for me, or your work, if that is your idol, he writes, he writes this, Tim Keller, if ministry or work is your idol, if you're successful, it'll go to your head. If you're failure, it goes right to your heart. So be careful. Our identity needs to be in sync with who we are, not with what we do how it's going. If we don't have that in the right perspective, it's a tendency to bail when things get tough. Now, Jesus talked about the end of the world. He talked a lot about it. I found myself reading more and more about what Jesus said would happen in the last days. How about you? Do you wonder? Are we getting closer? Can I just be honest with you? If we're not getting close now, I don't want to be around when it's about to happen. Because Jesus talked about Matthew 24, here's what you can look for. He said, you're going to hear about wars, threats of wars, but don't panic, he said, when it happens. There are going to be famines and earthquakes and pestilences or pandemics worldwide, all over the world. But this is just the beginning of birth pains. It's just getting ready to happen, but not quite yet. And there will be those arrested and persecuted, which happens every day by the, in, our, in our world today. Every day someone is arrested and persecuted because they're followers of Jesus Christ. He said, they're going to hate you. There's going to come in, they're going to hate you because of me. I believe he was giving those words to us. So we would not panic when things get much tougher in the culture to the message of Christ. Now, let's just bring it down a little more to earth here. In our everyday expectations, our just normal stuff, that can do us in too. Um, I've always enjoyed sports. I had not played much golf, so my first ministry 
good way to connect with the guys. I'm 25 years old, pastor of this church. So I went golfing with the guys on Saturday. And I thought, you know, most sports have been okay. I learned how to hit a baseball. Golf would be the same. Not so. Uh, my expectations were very unrealistic. But I thought, I can do okay with this. It was a struggle. But, uh, you know, if I played enough in five, I thought, you know, it's going to click today. I'm, I'm playing bogey golf today, which still is not great. It's one over a par, okay? But I, I'm going to play par or bogey golf today. And so here's what would happen. I would start out bogey, 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 and get a triple bogey on about the fourth hole. Every golfer listening right now knows exactly what I'm going to say. About the eighth hole, I'd get another triple bogey. And I would be miserable the last nine holes. And I'd come home on Saturday. My wife would go, who is this guy? Why is he so miserable? And finally, I realized, you know what? I don't have a bad swing. I can't play that much. If I shoot in the 90s or the 100s, I'm going to be good with that. And I enjoyed it a lot more. And the guys in the church enjoyed it a lot more, too. (laughs) Listen to me. Whether it's something you like to do or your work your family, your decisions. When your expectations are too high, not only will you be miserable and disappointed, but those around you will be as well. We've got to understand failure is not a disaster. It's called being human. The Lord has covered this for us. He doesn't expect 100% perfection. He brought that. He covers the difference. He covers the gap. So remember that. And then number two, keep your perspective on things. The Samaritans rejected Jesus. So Jesus goes to the other race. How's that go for him? Well, the other race, Samaritans, didn't respond to Jesus so well. So look at what happens. James and John, they were called the sons of thunder. You're going to see why in just a second. Verse 54. (laughs) So they heard about Jesus being rejected. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and burn them up? (laughs) Do you understand the scripture there? They are saying, Lord, they're not accepting our message of love. Can we take them out? And the scripture says, Jesus turned and went, boys, boys, boys. He rebuked them. They did not shrug their shoulders and move on. They didn't shake the dust off their feet. And we need to learn about this. By the way, aren't you glad James and John didn't have Twitter in that day? It would really damage the church, okay? It is so easy to lose perspective. When Jesus was rejected, he just moved on because he knew other people would respond. And his followers knew that too. Aren't you glad we have lights, by the way? Aren't you glad you have the tech team here you have at the church? When's the last time you've applauded the tech team for this church? I said, when's the last time you applauded the tech team in this church? Okay. Trust me, I'm here today. This place makes me look a lot better than I am. (laughs) Our tech team has done that for years in this church, and they still do, and they work behind the scenes. And aren't we glad that Thomas Edison gave us the light bulb? But you know that he failed 900 times? We kind of forget that. And we need to keep some perspective. Stop beating yourself up and magnifying every time you fall short. Focus on the times it's gone pretty good. Think about the times that there's been some success. Think about the good that you you were able to make today and you are accomplishing and will in the future. And that's the third suggestion, focus on the future. See, Jesus failed to convert people, so what does he do about it? Well, verse 6, 
Look at the last part of the verse. After they rejected him in his hometown, Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. He just moved on. He practiced what he preached. He just shook the dust off his feet. Uh, Would you for just a minute, it was symbolizing looking at your feet. Would you look at your feet for just a minute symbolically? Some of you went, ugh. No, symbolically. How many of you, I wonder, came in today and you, you dragged some dust into this room from your feet? You walked in with some mud on your feet. You walked in with some failures that you drag with you everywhere you go. It's always right there in the rearview mirror, and you can't stop focusing on it. Is it time to clean them off and move on? Daniel Pink has a new book I recommend to you. It's called The Power the power of regret. <laughs> it's how looking backward okay, moves us forward. Here's what he writes. I love this. Regret is the most common negative emotion that we experience because it feels bad, so we ignore it. And we end up wallowing in it until we finally learn how to cope with regret and failure. And that's what we're trying to learn today. So deal with it. Make the necessary changes and go forward. The Apostle Paul, believe me, he messed up an awful lot. He killed those who were following Christ. He talked about how every day he had a battle with his spiritual life and his thorn in the flesh. And he said this to the end of his life. I love this, Philippians 3, verse 13. I have to focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what is ahead. And we need to do the same. And then leave the results to God. We've got to accept this truth. There are some situations we cannot change. There's a situation in your life you see it as a failure or regret or a person in your life. And really it doesn't look like it's going well. Maybe you're doing more harm than good. And maybe you have to say, God, you know what? I think it's time you're telling me, take my hands off this. I've got to put them in your hands. I've got to put the situation in your hands. Help me to move on. Sometimes we have to do that and trust the Lord to deal with the situation because failure is not a sin, but faithlessness is. My friends I mentioned earlier in the service, man, they could have bailed. They continued to minister very, very effectively because they had to finally get the right perspective. They had to get their eyes on the goal. They found some peace. They said, we've got some limitations. Can't control what's happened here. We'll always pray our son came to the Lord. Oh, here's, here was the key. Here's what you write down. They said, this is the verse that got us through our roughest days. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. My grace is all you need, the Lord said. My power works best in weakness. When you're overcome with failure and regret and you feel weak, God says, would you turn it over to me? I've got this. Focus on the future. You can't change the past. I heard somebody this past week talk about anxiety and what a big problem it is today. Real simple. You've got to focus on what you can control, which is today. You have no control over the past. You have no control over the future. Would you just deal with today? Focus on the future. Maintain the right perspective. Things can probably be worse than what you regret. Control your expectations. We're all limited. Accept that. And leave the results to God. He's still in control. You've got to give it to him. 
There's my biggest concern of all today. There are some people who maybe are hearing this and going, well, I don't, I don't seem like I'm, I'm a failure. In fact, some people might seem like the epitome of success, but really they're falling short in the most important area of life. They haven't connected to Christ. I mean, Jesus said this in Mark 8, verse 36. Listen, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? And so if you're not connected to the Lord, you have no hope of eternal life and no forgiveness of sins. This church exists for that singular purpose, to help you connect to Christ. So please stop at the Connection Corner or online. Follow through in the many ways you have here. Wonderful opportunities to take the next step and begin your journey with Christ. Because Jesus died to forgive your sins, the thing you regret the most, and your failures. But if you refuse to accept that, you are a failure, no matter what you accomplish in life. But if you learn to turn to him, you can overcome those painful memories, and you'll have God's eternal prosperity and his idea of success. Can I tell you a story of my favorite father? Um, this was uh, it's a story about when, uh, you know, churches used to invite pastors over for Sunday lunch. When they really loved Jesus, they would invite pastors over for Sunday lunch years ago. And so this family was going to invite the pastor over for Sunday lunch. And man, mom, I mean, she was all over this. All of her best dishes, you know, that she could fix, but also the best china, the cloth, everything, you know, candles. But they had small kids and a husband and the pastor. How's this going to go? Things were perfect. Everybody's good behavior. They sit down at the table, calling the pastor for prayer. And I mean, the nine-year-old could not wait to jump into those mashed potatoes. He reached and he knocked over his glass, right over everything. <coughs> oh, no. Uh, the pastor picked up on it, and uh, the dad picked up on it pretty quickly. The dad then reached for his vegetables, and he knocked over his glass, and he winked at the pastor. And as the pastor reached for the meat, he knocked over his glass. And now the kids are going, cool. <laughs> and they began knocking over their glasses, one after the other. And everybody looked at mom like, Ugh. And finally she took her glass and went, oh, what's the use? <laughs> and I love the part of the story where the nine-year-old son looks over at his dad who winked at him and saved him from what was one of the most embarrassing moments perhaps of his life because of dad acting like God who cover, whose love covers over a multitude of sins. That's our father, and he wants to be your father. And I want to pray for you right now. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Kind Father, as we talk to you right now, I thank you for the gift of fathers, mothers, everybody who's here. But I'm just going to be honest. Um, you know my heart today is pretty heavy because this is the first Father's Day without Kristen's uh, dad, who was my hero. And so I pray right now for anybody today whose fathers have gone before us and there's kind of a hole in the heart and we miss them. It hurts. 
I praise you, God, for present dads here today who are spiritually investing in their kids. Not perfect, but they're doing their best. They're trying. And I just pray protection over them in their homes. I pray they'll fight their battles by looking to you and your presence, your truth. Give them wisdom, God, and insight. Every situation that they face. Lord, I just ask that these men will know how valued they are and seen. And they'll be told that, not just today, but every day. So I pray that you'll help these men right now listening to model integrity after you. I pray you'll give them patience and compassion and the same mercy that you have given to us. God, I also pray today for men who are listening to this who are parenting alone. That's tough. Help them, God, to know that you are near and you're enough to help them. Give them the strength to love the way you love them. God, I also pray today for uh, some men who've abandoned their homes. Begin to transform their hearts by your power. Bring them to a healthier place. And even, we pray, Lord, that reconciliation is on the way. We pray for those men who are not biological fathers, but they've stepped up into somebody else's life to kind of be a dad for them. Mm. Bless them for that. I had that in my life. Losing my dad so young. Some have done that. Fathers to the fatherless, thank you for them. May they feel loved and accepted and embrace that role. Lord, guide them to make decisions that honor you and point people to you. And finally, God, I pray for fathers, especially today, who have regrets. And for every person for our regrets. Help us not to focus too much on the past. Ask for your forgiveness. Live in the present. Work toward the future. God, please give us your comfort. Give us your comfort and your love. For those who've lost children, that's a deeper ache than any parent can ever have. Would you comfort them today? Help them to mourn and to grieve in the safety your strong arms and we pray in the strong name of Jesus and everybody said amen well if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us we send out a daily video text devotional you can receive that And you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us. And please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.